0: Yo, what's good, everybody? You are listening to a brand new episode of Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks with me, your hero, Benjamin Banks, and my co-host, Travi Boy Martin, the 5th, 6th, Jr., Jr. What's good, baby? Chilling, man. How uh, you doing, man? Eating these grapes. I see. What color are they? They green. They green. Although, I, I, d- I do prefer the purple grapes. The purple ones are the best.
1: But... You know,
0: these gra- they were out of the purple. But like like Robin said, he called them green ones, them sour grapes. I mean, they're sour.
1: Now, let me tell you, the grapes they get. Are the ones with seeds? Them, no, the kiwi grapes.
0: Kiwi grapes. I've never yeah. heard of those ones before, bro. Yeah,
1: it's like, um, Are they you kiwis? know how they're doing these, like, fruit blends? Yeah. It's a kiwi grape. Oh, so for real? It's, it's a grape, but it's got the inside of a kiwi.
0: So it's like they're fused. They're fused. Yeah, fu- yeah, they're fused. The fusion dance. Yeah.
1: Dude, they are off the chain. Do you have any? They're only, no, they're seasonal. They're not in season.
0: Uh, just like pumpkin
1: spice. Just like pumpkin spice, which is the season, Bro, which I do not like. You don't like pumpkin spice? I like pumpkin pie and pumpkin bread, but I'm not one of those, I need pumpkin spice coffee. And oh, no, yeah, for too sure. Much.
0: Some things, uh, like we had donuts this week at work. I'm good on that, too. The punk, We had pumpkin spice donuts, which tasted really good. Um... I've, I just feel like it depends on what type of pumpkin spice it is. Were those the ones is. from
1: Krispy Kreme?
0: Uh, no, these were actually for Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, okay. I know which ones you're talking about, right, though. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's crazy because, like, I remember one time I had one in Dollar General, and I had saw pumpkin spice hand soap, and I'm just like, why? why? <laughs>
1: like, Who, Who's ever, like, taken a bite or, like, we love bacon, yeah. right? But... Would I ever be like? You know what I want my hands to smell like? Bacon. bacon.
0: Like right, nah. Why would I want my hands to smell like pumpkin? Daniel Patrick Glenn might. Though. Yeah, he might. He might want his hands to smell like bacon. But I, yeah, I don't. I don't get it, bro. But yeah, yeah, man.
1: So let let's go ahead and get right on into it because this man blessed us with a way longer conversation than we thought that
0: we was going to get. He would
1: bless us with, and yeah. this man was. And I'm saying man because I don't want to announce who we're getting on the podcast.
0: This man is a legend. He's done so much stuff.
1: Not only is he kind of a legend, it's like the stories that he gave to us. Like they were some
0: sweet stories, like just stories that probably
1: nobody really knows. Yeah, just hearing like
0: behind the scenes stuff and you know the advice that he received early on in his career, man. Like it's crazy it's real crazy and Indeed. it's one of those things where it's like if that happened to us it's like it would be phenomenal you know what i mean like if we were his age at that point and like we i can't ha- imagine we had like one of our heroes yeah come in and say hey let me talk to you real quick so without any further ado let's roll into today's episode with special guest mr ken with two ends, michael <laughs> Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good, man. How are you? You're doing really good, man. Just a little tired. I just finished working out. But like my oh, boy Trav nice. always says, I'm always tired. Yeah,
1: you're always tired, man. <laughs> he's the opposite of Kevin Gates, man. Kevin Gates don't get tired. This man stays tired.
0: <laughs> it's, it's like the scene in uh in the first Avengers movie where Captain America is just like, it's time for you to get angry. And he's like, that's my secret. I'm always angry. But that's me. Oh, I'm always he's angry.
2: Tired. That you're, you're always tired. That's yeah. the deal. How how long was the uh, was the set was the workout set?
0: Uh, what I got there at what five o'clock? So I was there for at least a good two hours. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, Uh, usually he spends
1: a good three in the gym though, so he cut it
0: short today. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that we was on time for the podcast today.
2: (laughs) So you're not just like on the mic, just kind of falling out and snoring.
0: Nah, I'm, 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 I'm. Nah, I'm good right now, man. I, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to do this. I'm it's like Trav, he always jokes around about like, how do you just get like this burst of energy whenever it's time to start recording? And I was just like, bro, because it's like but that's I, cause you
1: should see the way he walks through the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: like I'm, I'm, it's like I'm a slug and everything. And then we get up here in the podcast room and it's just like, all right, let's go.
2: See, that's how that's how you know you're doing something that you uh that you really like doing
0: yeah exactly exactly yeah thanks again for joining us today man we really appreciate it absolutely man this is gonna be great i'm excited
1: yeah and this is really cool man because um and coincidentally i didn't even know this but when he had reached out to you to get on the podcast and i had looked and seen Mm -hmm. that you voiced on as told by ginger that's one of my go-to nickelodeon shows and i was i was like holy crap like dude we're getting this guy from as told by ginger yeah. that is awesome <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice i'm glad you like that show yeah man that was a great on. experience yeah totally, totally yeah
0: man it's like you know i i felt like after i finished watching cannon busters that i had to reach out to you man because you did a phenomenal job up there voicing philly the kid oh thank and you I, man thank you yeah you're welcome and it's like when i had looked it up and i was just like i was like kenny kenny blank Ken Michael, I, I know, I know who that <laughs> is. It's like, it's like I like. Of course, everybody in the '90s they grew up watching WB, and right. you were on the Parenthood. Yep, yep. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, how was it being on that show? Like, you were up there with Robert Townsend and Faison Love. Like, how was it? Just you know, growing up as a teen and being on that show.
2: Well, I mean, the crazy thing was that it was, um, you know, that show was kind of like the end of. Of my teenage years, uh, which had been just an amazing series of experiences that I was able to have in the career that I was doing, because not only was I a child actor and I'd been doing tons of commercials before the uh, the parenthood, but I was also um, you know a budding filmmaker, and so the uh, the Hudlin Brothers who did House Party and Boomerang and all that stuff, they kind of took me under their wing, so I was able to. Be on the set of Boomerang, for example, and watch their process, and watch how they created that movie, and and how they worked with all this amazing talent, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, and you know, um, Halle Berry, and all these amazing people. And so, amongst you know, being able to sort of uh, act and, and be in front of the camera, which I love doing. Uh, I was also learning a lot of the stuff behind the camera. And so I, so, you know, I was having these great experiences in front of the camera, but being able to kind of see behind the scenes and see how these top people worked at the top of their game was just an amazing experience. So by the time I was in my late teens and I'd booked the parenthood, um, it was like another, like, Oh, this is about to be another great experience because of course I was a big fan of Robert Townsend. Of course, you know, uh, Partners in Crime was was a huge influence, and in all the work that he had done on Hollywood Shuffle. And so, what was amazing about that experience was that the WB was a brand new network, mm-hmm. and we were one of the first four shows. And so, when we uh, when it came time for the uh, the screen test, I was I hadn't uh, moved to California yet. I was still based out of the East Coast in New York and and Connecticut. So I auditioned from New York, and they flew me out to L.A. for the screen test. And incidentally, I was screen testing opposite Ray J. Right. Oh, wow. So it was me and Ray J up for the for that part. How how and, old uh, is Ray I, J? Uh I don't know. I don't know. I I feel like we're in similar age categories, obviously. Uh, but I think he might be a little younger than me. Um, but of course, you know, we had we had come into contact with each other over the years, you know, auditioning together. I knew Brandy and you know, we were just, it was that. Pack of these you know young cats who were just out there trying to trying to book stuff yeah and uh and the, and so the, the the screen test took place at the wb headquarters which was like this just this building on the warner hollywood not on the warner the warner burbank lot and it was brand new there was like no there was nothing up there there was no it was just they had a big cardboard cutout of michigan J frog which was which was their mascot and that was yeah. like the logo for the network i love that and dude. so it was just it was deep seeing Oh, I mean, you know, that cartoon is classic. So, um, yeah. And you know what I mean? And and so to be a part of the start of this brand new network and kind of seeing how they built up all the stuff with the affiliates and how they did the promo. I mean, when they launched the network, they of course, they had Chuck Jones there, who was the, the main animator for Warner Brothers and who had actually done that Michigan J. Frog cartoon. And so I got to meet him. and i was just like you're the guy who's responsible for freaking like all these classic looney tunes cartoons like you're you know so i mean just you know um it was just amazing experiences uh because and of course you know i think that first season was was us uh wans brothers unhappily ever after Mm -hmm. and i'm forgetting the fourth show what was the fourth show um I can't remember, but I remember, I remember the network was trying to, they were trying to sort of take the the more edgy comedy stance. So they really were into the Wayans Brothers and Unhappily Ever After, like the real sort of cynical, you know, violent kind of comedy. And we were the family show. And so the network wasn't really checking for us, but the country was, because at the time, I think politically that was like Bush and the moral values and family values and all that kind of stuff. So the country was like, oh, new family show, we like it. And the network was like, ah, try these other things. And they're like, I don't know. So the affiliates were very, very much into the parenthood, but uh, <laughs> not as much the network. And so they kept kind of pushing us around a little bit and, um, and kind of just seeing what stuck. And I remember the first season, if you remember the show, every episode they do uh, a fantasy sequence, right? Yeah, Robert that was my favorite part of, kind of the fantasy. show. Right. And so that first season, they were really trying to push the envelope with how racy they could get this family show. And I remember one of the first episodes, the he had some fantasy sequence and it was like him in the bed and it was supposed to be Jerry, his wife, you know, underneath the covers and, you know, all this stuff. And then out (laughs) pops the uh, the the housekeeper slash maid, you know, who's like this older woman (laughs) and then like some other. and, And it was one of those things that was like it was kind of funny on page, but the way that it. That it felt when we did it, it was a little strange, but they did it anyway. And we lost a bunch of advertisers and it was like the second week just because it was like, oh, no, you can't you can't really cross that line on a family show. You got to you got to sort of maintain that balance.
0: So, um, like, um you, you know, gotta it keep was a positive image that y'all were presenting on the show at the time.
2: Yeah, because I think, you know, the thing is, it's like when 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 a, when parents sit down with their kids and they go, OK, this is a family show. I I can feel safe having this on in front of my kids and I don't have to sort of police the show as much because I know that it's going to be safe viewing for, for children. And I think when, when a network starts to try and push that boundary and envelope and, you know, certain parents, they just don't know if they can, if they can have that program on for their kids. And I think that was kind of the, that was the big deal, but you know, we've, we've, we found the the stride and they figured out how to, how to keep that balance, how to do some, some, You know, slightly racy jokes, but still keep the family vibe happening. And we uh, we were able to go a couple of years. I was on there for three and uh, and I was also doing the music for the show as well. Oh, nice. And so, yeah, so it was uh, it was it was a great experience, of course, working with Robert all day. And then and then Faison came on, I think, in season two. And he was just, I mean, of course, Faison is just hilarious. And so the <laughs> the awesome thing, just going to work every day, was just, okay, wh- how is Faison going to ad-lib today? And how is he going to make us all laugh in the middle of a take? How is he going to do what's not written on the page and come up with some great joke? Uh, so that ended up being a lot of fun uh, to be a part of. Uh, incidentally, the other thing is the, the the little the kids on the show were... Amazing, um, Curtis Williams and Ashley Adams, who are now grown adults. Ashley, <laughs> Ashley just had a had a had a kid, had a baby, um, and I think so did Curtis. Yeah, so they both have kids. And but th- but at the time we were shooting, they were just these little little tiny little human beings, yeah. and they were so professional. They never messed up their lines. Uh, it was always the adults who were flubbing lines. Me and Reagan, uh, who played Zaria. We hardly we hardly messed up. We were just like, let's, you know, let's get the work done and let's let's make sure that every take is a good take. And then I think it was like the end of maybe second season and they had the blooper reel that came out at the wrap party and we were not in it because we never messed up. <laughs> That's so, a good thing. It's a good thing. But, you know, at the end yeah, of the season, yeah, you, you want to be part of the blooper thing. reel, too. Though. So the, yeah. So yeah. the next season we were just like, all right, let's we, we're going to we're going to schedule our mess ups and we're going to make them epic. So we'll make the blooper reel. And uh, and we did. Yeah, and that some- was fun.
1: Sometimes I'll get lost on YouTube videos just going through blooper reels. Of, oh man! Um, especially a lot of the movies where they're they kind of make up lines as they go, like a lot of the Will Ferrell movies yes. and stuff like that, where oh, they're just kind of yeah. bantering off of each other. But you had brought I was up. Ju- that I, was,
2: I was just gonna I was just gonna mention the Will Ferrell stuff. I think those those really oh have they're movies. so hilarious. Amazing they just tried.
0: <laughs> and you know what's crazy is uh you know something that I always bring up with Trav is how remember back in like the '90s and early 2000s at the end of every movie they had like the bloopers on set like what happened in the oh, movie yeah. like they don't do that anymore in movies
2: they don't do that anymore i don't know why i really don't know why cuz it's it's so much fun to just sort of see you know pull that curtain back yeah and, and and feel like oh that's what it was like oh okay uh i'll tell you you know from my experience just for example like boomerang th- that would have been an amazing movie to see bloopers from because Oh my gosh, there was so much ad-libbing in that that movie and so many classic scenes that we remember were just, they were started from ad-libs, you know? Eddie would do a joke or Grace Jones would do a joke or what I saw a lot of times, Martin would do a joke on on the first take and then the second take, Eddie would then have that joke. (laughs) And so there was like all these like politics that were in play in terms of like who got the the joke or who came up with this one and there was a lot of like that, you know, comedian code that was happening because... You know Eddie brought in Chris Rock and he was really new and you know Eddie was really vouching for him and so it was just you know there, a lot a lot of a lot of these stories that 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 exist that are out there that um, you know just make you kind of think a little bit more about the people who you love watching on screen you know yeah because if
0: uh, if I, if I but, remember correctly wasn't it Eddie who was responsible for getting Chris Rock on Saturday Night Live back in the day probably something like that probably. Because the thing that was amazing on set
2: of of Boomerang was that you know, like I said, Chris was new, yeah, and so he was he was brand new to the whole movie thing, and so he wasn't really hitting his marks all the time, and you know, like all the takes weren't really he wasn't really really hitting it because he was new. He was, and I'm sure, you know, being in that kind of a a a space with with those people uh, that had to have been kind of crazy for him, and so there were people on set who were like, I don't know, I don't understand why. Why, Eddie's vouching for this guy and all this stuff and everybody was, Eddie was just like no 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 this is the guy just watch wait you know he may be a little new right now but just watch he's going to be incredible uh, so Eddie was, Eddie was very cool like that that's,
1: I mean just this list of random stories you're bringing up is mind blowing to me I mean we're talking about Chris Rock before he, he was, was Chris Rock Yeah. I mean yeah. that's just insane and then of course Eddie in his prime and- oh man I can't imagine yeah. being around Eddie Murphy, like that raw Eddie Murphy before he settled down.
2: Well, so here's, here's the crazy thing about that. Cause I feel like this was right at a time where he was kind of starting to settle down. Cause this was after, boomerang was after he did Harlem nights. I think this is like 1992. Yes, exactly. And so, uh, because of the, so, What happened with the with the Hudlin brothers, uh, they had this uh, organization called the Black Filmmakers Foundation based out of New York. And it was really set up to, um, you know, this was again, this was in the in the in the late 80s, early 90s. So, of course, there was no Internet and there was no sort of um, easy community that you could kind of just sort of be involved in. If you were a young filmmaker and didn't have any kind of connections to any kind of studio system, uh, the indie thing was just kind of starting to pop off. So this was a great um, incubator for that type of stuff. And so I was the youngest member of that, uh, the community of that Black Filmmakers Foundation, the BFF and I would go to these things and, you know, eight or nine years old, and they'd have these screenings of these short films, these feature films. And I'd have all these questions about, you know, technical things and why the director chose this specific camera or film stock. That's how far back we're going, film stock. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the so Reggie and Warrington kind of like saw me in the crowd. Oh, okay. This, this, this kid seems to be serious about the craft. And you know, let's let's bring him in a little bit and 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 see if he's really, really serious. And so, after a couple of years of going to these events and getting to know them a little bit, ah uh, they were doing boomerang, and they had this uh, internship program that they put together in collaboration with Paramount, who is the main studio who did boomerang. And so the idea was they were they were selecting, uh, certain members from from the BFF to to come in and be an intern based on what kind of job they wanted to do in the industry. If you wanted to do, you know, be wardrobe designer, you come in, you intern under the wardrobe designer on Boomerang, that kind of thing. So they wanted me to be director intern, but I was too young, so they instead made it an apprenticeship. And so I was auditioning at the time, going in uh, for auditions. My mom and I would 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 commute from Stanford, Connecticut into New York city to do these auditions. And then after the auditions, after school, I would, you know, we'd go on to the set and I would just kind of hang out on set and watch them and be involved in just sort of watching and being up under Reggie and Warrington and watching them sort of create this movie. And so one of the first days when I got to sort of meet Eddie Murphy, that was just, it was huge. And he was really, really cool right off the bat, really nice. And he was like, you know, hurry up and get legal so we can work together kind of a thing And so there was that kind of rapport, and so you know every every day or whatever, you know, when you're being a a shadow, your job is not to sort of be social with everybody, of course, right? So your job is to you're just learning. So you got to shadow the dragon. You got to be you know quiet and don't don't ruin the process. Don't interject unless you're sort of asked to. Um, And so I remember this one day, I I was I was must have been a little kind of down and out feeling a little off because a lot of the auditions that I had been going on were just, it was the same two characters. It was like, you know, the kid from the projects or the drug dealer. Um, And that was kind of like the two roles (laughs) that that were available for like a teenage, you know, African-American kid. And it was frustrating because there were all these characters that I wanted to be able to play. And those roles were just not being written. And so I guess I'm, I must have been energetically moping around the set that day. And I think Eddie kind of like stopped me and he was like, hey, what, you know, what's going on with you today? Oh, you know, I don't, I don't remember what I told him, but I, I, of course I wasn't going to be like, oh, I'm upset because then I was, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't want to ruin his whatever he yeah. was like working yeah. on or dealing with. Um, so we went on with the day and a couple hours went by and a, a PA walks up to me at some point and they go, um, Eddie wants to meet you at his bus. I was like, what? So they take me out to his bus, and I get on the bus, and he sits me down and gives me a pep talk. He was like, hey, man, so, you know, what's going on? I was like, well, you know, just these auditions have just been really one no." He's like, dude, I know. I I get it, and just keep keep going. Keep, you know, persisting. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And just proceeds to give me this super, super amazing pep talk. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm sitting in Eddie Murphy's bus, and he's just— this is something he did not have to do at all. You're right. right? And that just meant, it meant so much to me. And then after he finished the pep talk, he, you know, goes to his, to this shelf and presses play on a, on a cassette deck and starts playing me songs from his upcoming album, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and it's got like Emmanuel <laughs> Lewis on there and it's got like all these people. And I'm just like, this is hilarious because the songs were cool, but it's, it's, it's like with him, Jamie Foxx, any comedian who can... Who can sing and do the thing it's like uh bro what was the name of this cool, album but we, i don't i don't even remember i don't even remember because, but it was just like i don't it, well, was, it had, was one of those things where i was like i wanted i wanted to laugh only because it's it murphy. Eddie murphy playing is yeah like even if the song was legit the songs were legit they were legit songs but it's always hard i know. To separate the he comedian kept, from the musician it's and always he hard a,
1: he catches a lot of slack for that like, like the songs are trash. But man, yeah. I love party all yeah, the party time. Yeah, party all the time. Bro. I love that. Like it's not a joke to me. I love this song.
0: Bro, he I can't remember, I can't remember the name of the song, but he has a song with Michael Jackson too. And like mm-hmm. he was killing it. Oh yeah, up there. you remember that video?
2: Do you remember that video? Yeah, you yeah. gotta do a YouTube <laughs> where he was like out in the clouds yeah. and he was doing that pose with his hands up. Yeah. That's
0: it was straight. <laughs> that is 90s. the beautiful thing about
2: YouTube is that all of these things exist on YouTube now.
0: Like, bro, I love going on YouTube and looking up old Prince videos and just, oh, just looking dash. at like how visually stylish they were man it's like these old videos like they were sweet back huh. in the day videos matter okay so now
2: then. so here's the th- here's the crazy thing about the videos right is that in the 90s especially that was when those budgets just got huge yeah, yeah. you remember like puffy videos and yeah. Buster <laughs> Rhymes, and they were doing like million two million dollar videos and stuff and the thing that I always think about is that these videos were like these epic pieces of like cinematic art. They really were. And the highest resolution that exists for all of those videos is standard definition DigiBetaCam. Uh, digi so you're never going to see the actual real quality of what they shot. Like, that's all that exists. Because with music videos back then, you shot the thing and then you got rid of the film negative – You did all the uh, visual effects and color correction on this, like, standard definition, not HD, not anything like that, just square box TV quality, and that would be the video. And that's all that exists. And that is crazy to me, that all these iconic music videos will only ever exist in that low resolution.
1: Well, I know, I don't know a lot about, you know, obviously the movie production, but I do know that when they shot a lot of this stuff back in the day on, like, the film that that particular quality itself is like the equivalent of like 20k now and that well that's why they're able to go back to these 90s movies and like remaster them well
2: so so that's the thing is that yeah film um still is to some extent but is well I mean it has been eclipsed by digital um and that was a a, a transition that I saw coming uh, way, way, way before it was happening. And, um, and it was really kind of great to see how that transition happened. Right. But film was that gold standard because it just had so much more resolution than what the video formats were of the time. So yeah. So in a film, in a movie where they keep that negative, yeah, you can go back and remaster for not only HD, but they go back for 4k. And that's like a, a, a great way to sort of continue to make revenue, on those film assets, is that you can keep going and remaster them for whatever is the new fangled fancy video format right. or digital format, and they can always go back to that really high resolution master. For these music videos, like they got rid of that high resolution master because mm, that wasn't really the format. It w- you did all the stuff in the low resolution video thing after you transferred the raw footage. Um, so that was kind of like the, the the issue. Now, the thing is that digital when you shoot these movies uh, in 4K now, which is the, the standard. Yeah, now you can you can do any kind of upscaling, which which they'll probably do when things go to 8k, although I feel like acquisition formats are gonna be continually rising. We're shooting on 6K now, 8K. Yep. And yeah, that's Ultra really approaching what IMAX is. IMAX is from a resolution standpoint, it's more akin to like 8K, 10K, 12K. Uh, But as far as 35 millimeter and, uh, you know, people are going to argue with me on this, but as far as resolution is concerned, not not talking about feel or vibe or that kind of like uh, etheric quality of like, you know, what people talk about when they talk about vinyl versus digital. But yeah, there's that there's that quality to to motion picture film. Yes, that will always be there. But from a resolution standpoint, um, yeah, digital is there. We're 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 beyond there. And so that's that's an interesting thing. So as the aesthetic of what we watch and the content that we watch has changed because the tools have changed. That's always fascinating to me.
1: Now going back, um, I just want to touch on something. I know you had brought up earlier that you were on the first three seasons. Um, yeah. What exactly happened with that? As far as your character being written off the show, was that something that because you had brought up, you know, you kind of getting pigeonholed in the stereotype auditions. Was this something yeah. that, you made a decision to do or did they write you off the show or you know if you uh, Well, here here elaborating uh, here's, on it.
2: Yeah, no, here's how here's how it happened uh for me, right? We had finished the third season and uh I was still um I was living was I living in LA yet? I had I had a place in LA, um, but I still would go back to Connecticut uh for the summer to visit whatever visit family and stuff. And I remember you know there was a, there was a week or two weeks where we were expecting to get that what they call the pickup call where you get a call from the producer saying hey we're back for another season congratulations blah 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 right so i got that call and the call was um we're coming back but your character isn't and that was, of course, a bit of a blow because it wasn't like anything that had been brewing. I think what was interesting was that last season, there was definitely some, uh, a little bit of, uh, how to say, just, just a little tension in terms of how I felt like my character was being, sort of becoming one note. Yeah. Like once they found out that I could do music on the show, then they pushed his character. When when the Parenthood started, like that first season. Michael's character was very much, um, slightly, was conservative and he, you know, as I was reading him on the page, it felt very much like Michael Keaton from, uh, uh from Family Ties, which, wait, Michael, Michael, wait, what was his, Alex Keaton, there we go, I'm um, like, no, that was Batman, Alex Keaton from fam- Family Ties, and that was exciting to me because, um, you know, Michael J. Fox was a huge influence, and I loved all his work. And I mean, come on, Back to the Future is one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Even if you I don't agree. think that the third one is, you know what I mean? Right, but yeah, yeah, one and yeah. two. <laughs> that, all right, right? Well,
0: before right? before we go on, which one is your favorite? Two, exactly. Like, bro. Two. I don't yeah. understand, like, why people be sleeping on 2. Like, 2, in my opinion, two, is the best one out of the trilogy. 2 is the greatest
2: one because they get into all of the really awesome time travel concepts.
0: Exactly, He's doing all the
2: characters. They got all the, the tech and stuff and the hoverboards. However, I will say, go back to watching 1 and turn the sound off and watch 1 with no sound and look at how beautifully that, from a director standpoint, yeah, how the scenes are blocked how the camera moves. It's so like, you don't really notice it if, you know, it's like, oh, it's back to the future, whatever. But if you really look at how all that stuff is constructed, so beautifully done. Um, so anyway, so Michael J. Fox huge, huge influence. And so I was excited about the idea of being able to play like an Alex Keaton type of a role just to be contrary to the rest of the family. Yeah. The, it's a lot of humor that is there, a lot of fun character things that you could do. And so that was kind of how, how he was for the first season. And then and then at the end of that first season at the rap party, I I was they had a band or whatever, and I played the drums and played the keyboards. And that was kind of like where they all, oh, he does music. And then Michael became the music guy, which was cool for the second season. But then the third season, everything that he was doing was just like, oh, my band, my band, my band, my band. I remember that. To the detriment of like family stuff. So there would be like there was like an episode where like Zarya was like, um, maybe like sexually harassed or something at some school dance or whatever, or she was being like hit on, by some, some weird, like really important thing that they had the boyfriend stand up and do something. And her brother is right on stage, like right there. And I remember just saying to the writers, like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Like her brother has to be the one who stands up to the bully. Like, Hey, that's family. That's what this show is about. Yeah. Why would he just they stand were there? Exactly. And so there was a lot of that kind of stuff where it was like, he, all Michael was was just this one note and and he wasn't really being too active in what the family was doing. And that's usually a sign where they kind of get a little bored with something and then they want to sort of bring in a new flavor. And so what ended up happening was they brought in the the new character who... You know, they brought in the new flavor. They brought in like this guy that they say, like, oh, okay, we can do like the hunk thing for the girls, and he's got a little bit of the the street vibe, so we can get some of that in and play off of this family and how they deal with this this outsider coming in. So it's all these things that you know, whatever. Like, um, but I, but it was, it was, of course, it was a, it was a blow that I didn't really feel for a few years because I think at that age there's a bit of the. Oh, you know, whatever, like they're going to do whatever they want to do. Like, fine, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, there's a bit of that kind of defensiveness um, that allows you to kind of deal with that kind of a blow. Um, and so as I was, I was still doing the music for the show, so I was still going to the mix sessions and delivering the score and being there where they were doing all the sound posts to finish up each episode. And the thing that killed me the most about that move was that. You know, here's the oldest son in the family, right? The first kid that they made. Yeah. And after I was – they mentioned him once on the beginning of the fourth season, and then they never mentioned him again. Right. And they'd have like they had like grandparents come and cousins and, and nobody mentioned the first son. And I, that to me, it was always like, ah, oh, I mean, it would have at least been cool. Like, oh, he's off at college or he's doing yeah. his thing just to keep the keep that
0: thread alive. But or it even brought you back you know, for so like that, the holiday episodes or something, um, something, yeah, something. It's kind of it's, it's kind of um, like the uh, what happened to Judy Winslow on Family Banners.
2: Oh totally she went upstairs and never came back down
0: well at least yeah (laughs) but it's it's just crazy like how they do that with characters on tv shows especially especially when you were up there for three seasons it's not like you were just up there on the first season and that was it
2: right exactly but that's you know that's that's how the business goes and it's a business first and so you know i think that's that's kind of the deal is when you're in this type of industry which is Based off of primarily rejection, because for all you know, the ninety nine percent of the no's, you get that one percent of yes, and then that's something that kind of holds you for a minute, and then you're right back into it. i you know, you you listen to uh, James Cameron's story, and he was his first movie was uh Piranha Two, which which was produced uh, by Roger Corman, and he got fired off of that movie, and then he was like stuck in Italy somewhere with a fever when he had the the nightmare that was that became Terminator. And then he got back to L.A. and he wrote the script and pitched it all around Hollywood. And everybody except for one company said, no, absolutely not. This is ridiculous.
1: That that happened to Sylvester Stallone with <laughs> Rocky. I was just about to say Rocky. that.
0: Yeah, with well, Rocky, yeah. I feel
2: like that's all the stories start like that. It's like everybody said no except for this one Yeah, that's how all thing. the iconic movies happened in the 80s, right? Exactly, exactly. And, it's, you know, that's still happening. That's still happening. But, that, you know, I think that's just the nature of the business.
1: Right. And before we like start moving on, you know as your career develops even more, I did want to go back to one more thing, and that's because when I was a kid growing up p b s was you know kind of what you watched yeah. all day, and yep. <laughs> reading Rainbow was something that i mean reading Rainbow and Barney was on you mm-hmm, know when i'm yeah. three four years old that's that's what I watched yeah. and On top of that, I was always, and I still am, you know, as a 30-year-old man, obsessed with Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. (laughs) Watch it every—I'll never not watch it, you know? So, when I read that you read the book Jumanji, which is one of my favorite childhood movies, on Reading Rainbow, during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade episode, that just (laughs) blew my mind. That was like
2: all the boxes ticked. Yes,
1: yes. And then on top of that— I think we've talked about it before where LeVar Burton doesn't get the credit he deserves. Like people bring up the Bob Ross and the um, The Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers.
0: And uh, Steve Irwin. But he doesn't
1: get the credit he deserves, man.
2: Reading Rambo is a staple. Well, I didn't know
1: what. I don't know if you had any cool stories like you had with Eddie about him. You know, how was this guy in well, real life? Your interaction? Yeah, no, I mean, I
2: didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any interaction with uh with Levar Burton because the way that they did those book reviews, they were they were completely separate. And mm. the way that that happened was, um, I was uh, at my dad's house in New York, and you know, Reading Rainbow came on or whatever, and they had the book reviews. And at the end of the episode, they were like if you want to do one of these book reviews, call this number. Right. And I was like, I want to do that. Now, the thing was uh, that there were other kids in my class at the time who were doing like some modeling and commercials and all that stuff. And I liked being in front of the camera, but I hadn't thought about sort of professionally doing that. Um, But I also had a uh, a gear habit, meaning – I wanted to buy equipment. I wanted to buy music and sound equipment, video equipment to build my own little studio. So that was like, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, commercials and that kind of thing was pretty much the way to do it because that was going to make me the amount of money that I needed to actually buy like these expensive pieces of equipment. And so I remember just kind of going to my dad and being like, I want to see if I can do this reading rainbow thing. And we went in and did the audition and they were like, yeah, he's, he's great. And I did one of them. And then the, I think my mom took me to that, to the filming of that. And they were, you know, the, one of the producers s- sort of said to her, like, he's really good at, you know, being able to handle the, the dialogue and reading and, and kind of like being able to, to speak and, and be natural in front of camera. He, and he also seems like he really likes this. You might want to think about maybe putting him in commercials and that's kind of how, that's how everything started. Uh, from the reading rainbow and then they brought me back to do a second one and so yeah so that was that was that's you know that's the extent of the reading rainbow story i didn't have any any interaction with lavar though
1: man you could but. have just lied to me man And be like <laughs> he was great you
2: know? <laughs> don't want to do that Mars don't want to lie because yeah, dude, yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> when you when you run into him and oddly enough right he's like oh i met this kid who did it and he said yeah and
0: he's like i never met him what so what what else was he lying about? I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I remember that you were in a movie called The Super with Joe yeah. Pesci. Yeah. How how was it working with Joe Pesci? I mean, because I mean, this is Joe Pesci that it's was Joe at home Pesci, at home man. alone. Good fellas. Like, you have any stories oh. about him? Okay, I'll start by saying this: Joe Pesci wrote
2: me a college recommendation letter to USC. Wow,
0: that's crazy. So that's, that's awesome, say, bro. That
2: That should say, yeah, Joe Pesci was, um, and I say was not because he's, but I'm saying based on my (laughs) experience, Joe Pesci is a national treasure. And, uh, when we were working on that movie, like, I have, um, uh, asthma and I had really extreme bad asthma back in those days. And so we were, we had started shooting and it was like, I want to say like late fall, almost beginning of winter. And we were the first day, first day we were shooting an exterior out on the street and, um, we get out and do a rehearsal, and he looks at me. He goes, where's your, uh, where's your undershirt? Did not give you an undershirt? I was like, no, they just, you know, they gave me just these clothes. And he's like, no, 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 you need an undershirt. It's cold out here. No, I'm going to. And so he went and told Wardrobe. I was like, no, you got to give him an undershirt because he's going to catch cold out here. That was like day one. That was day one. That just so showed you the type of person he, he was. Oh, he was amazing. Now, the cool thing was while we were shooting, um, Goodfellas came out. And so, of course, I went and, and saw the movie, which he was in like, what? You're a little young to be seeing that movie. <laughs> right, but <yeah. laughs> since you saw it, <laughs> since you yeah. saw it, he started talking about like the stuff that they cut out of the American version, um, the scene where he gets, uh, you know, <laughs> murked, uh, where he thought he was being made. Apparently, that whole sequence was like way more graphic when they shot it. And they had all kinds of stuff that Scorsese had 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 filmed, but they didn't. They didn't leave in in the in the U.S. release of it, but it was apparently in the European. So of course, these little details for me, I was like, "Ooh, that's cool!" You know, he was he was fantastic. He was really really great to work with, and so funny, and such a kind person. Um, yeah, that was that was another that was a great experience.
1: And it, it's so wild because it's the, pretty much the complete opposite of every every character he's ever played. I mean, usually exactly. he's right, the tough right. guy. Yeah,
0: no, he was he was fantastic. So a question that I wanted to ask was about um, like your music career. You said that you had did music on the parenthood. Like, when did you start getting into doing music on, you know, shows and movies and stuff like that?
2: Well, music pretty much was my first language. So my um, so my my mom used to sing and dance with James Brown for 10 years. Oh, wow. How do you just like nonchalantly
1: (laughs) mention that? (laughs) Yeah, bro. (laughs) That's
2: cool, man. So, so, so there's that, like she was with him like in the seventies, like during the payback era, like that whole, uh, Muhammad Ali fight where they were in Zaire. She was part of his company for that tour. So they went out there and she's in both of those documentaries about that event. Um my biological father uh is a jazz drummer and composer and he's worked with you know Nina Simone and uh Blood Omer and just all these very like very intense people. Yeah. Um and uh my stepdad owned a huge recording studio in in New York City. So me coming into you know <laughs> that I mean I came in with my own curiosity about technology and of course music was was right there. So as a, as a small child, I'd be in my stepdad's recording studio, engineering sessions and, you know, using all of the latest technology. So of course that's why I wanted to buy my own stuff because he was trying to give me like hand-me-down stuff during, you know, Christmas and holidays and stuff like birthday present. Here's a, here's an old two track like, Oh, that's cool. But I actually want the newer one. Yeah. Okay. That's going to cost money and, and a paper route's not going to cut it. Um, so the music thing was, was, was first and the acting came as a as a as a result of me realizing that I enjoyed being in front of the camera, um, and sort of starting to combine the music with the acting work. Like I, you know, I I started teaching myself how to make films and how to shoot and how to edit and how to do sound to picture and how to then score music to picture and all that kind of stuff in a time where the technology was was a a little bit more advanced. I wouldn't say it was like. Uh, caveman style. Right. Uh, yeah. but it, but it, it was still compared to now. Oh my gosh, you know, uh, ancient. So I learned using all of these very, very, you know, integral techniques of how to do things. And so as I got older and as I was learning more by being on more sets with different creators, more, you know, different directors and different, uh, DPs and different composers, and I would just watch and listen and learn and everything and so when it came time to do like the parenthood and all that stuff and there was that opening of oh there's music that i can do and you know to this day i still think about the the guy who was the composer on the show and and thinking about what that must have been like for him to have this gig and over the course of the five seasons that it was on like one of the cast members kind of slowly taking that job away from him um so i think about that sometimes but some but on the other hand he He's a guy who did the theme for Futurama, so I'm sure he's fine. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so, a classic song. Like, everybody knows yeah, the theme yeah, for Futurama. So, yeah, his, his, his royalties on that are most likely fine. I know he's not hurting off of lost parenthood checks, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, especially at that time, it was like, I... I'm a multi-hyphenate, so I want to do everything. So in front of the camera, that's great. Behind the camera, that's great. Directing, shooting, editing, composing, mixing, visual effects, color correction, all those things I love doing. And so wherever I could kind of do more than one job, uh, I was loving it. Now, you know.
1: okay, so moving forward, you know, they tell you they're not going to, you know, revive your role anymore. Mm-hmm. What happens next for you as far as, okay. Do you still want to do the sitcom stuff? Or are you looking to get back in the movies? Like, what's going through your head?
2: It's uh that's a great question. The the thing that was was interesting at the time was that um, you know, you would think it's like, well, oh okay, I was I was just on a show that's uh successful for the most part right right? we're we're still on a on a on a network that's not a what they call a quote-unquote real network right and this is back in the day where it was like you know you had the they had the four major abc nbc cbs and fox fox had just become a real network a few years earlier um so you know you would think like oh okay well you're on a show so it shouldn't be that difficult to get right onto something else well there's nothing further from the truth um you got to get right back out there and get back on that grind and you got to get back in these casting directors faces and you got to just hit the pavement and just keep doing these auditions and the thing that was interesting for me was at the time i was very much like well you know um i want to really pursue more of my filmmaking stuff and my music stuff and you know i'll I'll do these auditions and I'll, i'll see how far i get but the deal was by that time i was in California, I was living in California and the audition scene from LA is way different than New York. And you may hear other actors sort of talking about the difference between Los Angeles and New York from an actor's standpoint. Um, and so it was just, it was too different of a vibe and it was just weird. And so I did a couple of things here and there. Um, but I, but I chose to kind of focus more on the behind the scenes stuff, which ended up, leading to a very, very diverse bunch of years in terms of the work that I ended up doing. Um, I ended up doing uh, some work with Kel Mitchell. I ended up doing a bunch of work with NSYNC, uh directing their video elements for their Pop Odyssey tour and their uh, VMA performance where they had the five screens up there. And so I did a lot of that stuff. And then As Told by Ginger happened, and I started getting some more voiceover work. And so the on-camera thing, I kind of just I put down for a second because I was kind of tired of, I, personally, I was just tired of the rejection, to be yeah. honest. And I was all, you know, and it was this weird transition thing, because I was known as like, you know, this teenager, and I was, you know, known as this child actor. But I was at this point, 1920, 21, where I was transitioning into an adult. And that's usually the hard thing, right? Is, is that transition to the adult, roles and yeah it was it was tough it wasn't it wasn't easy so i was like well let me just let me focus on some of these other aspects of what i enjoy doing and like i said yeah there was there was some real cool stuff that came from that um you know as told by ginger being one of them because i honestly don't even remember auditioning for as told by ginger um i just remember getting a booking like oh you got to show up for this thing it's this new series and you know and I remember getting to the session and and I asked them, hey, can you play my audition back? Because I just don't even know what I had done <laughs> yeah. as character. It's like and you then just they played it back. I was like, and yeah. And I was like, oh, this one. OK, cool, cool, cool. And that ended up being such an amazing experience doing the "As Told by ginger stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I believe it was like a couple of years ago that there was rumors coming out saying that there was a as told by ginger movie coming out. Did you ever hear about oh. that?
2: I did. And the funny thing is my sister, uh, texted me with that info and she was like, oh, there's a movie. And I was like, this is the first time hearing of it. I was like, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. if they did. You know, like hope if there is a movie, hopefully they do call me back for that. Cause sometimes they just, you know, um, but I, you know, it was, it was cool for a couple of minutes. And then I found out like, oh no, that wasn't real. Um, And funnily enough, there, uh, this, this woman who has, who runs this podcast, there's a podcast for, as told by Ginger, and they reached out to me and I, I did an episode of their podcast. We kind of talked about that experience, but we did talk about the, the, you know, that rumor of there being a movie. And that was, that had been exciting, exciting because all the, all the actors on that show were just so great to work with. And the way that we recorded that show was also fantastic. And I think lent itself to the way that that show felt. In terms of the performances and stuff, and uh, yeah, so that was great. Yeah, that would have been great. I mean, there's there's still time to
0: do that. As told by Ginger, moving. I'm not gonna not gonna let that go. But uh. well, what's crazy because I mean, like I've also heard rumors too that they said that um, like after the movie thing was found out to be false, that there's rumors that the show might be coming back. I mean, like we're in an age now where it's like. (laughs) <laughs> Everything is coming back. I mean, like Lizzie McGuire just got announced and is coming yeah, back to D- yeah. Disney Plus. You know what I'm saying? Show like yeah. anime is like Dragon Ball Super and stuff like that. People like they love the stuff that came out in the 90s and early 2000s. So, I mean, do you, do you know or have you heard anything about uh As Told by Ginger show returning to Nickelodeon uh, in the future? I have not,
2: but like I said, I think it would be great, and I think it would also be timely. I mean, especially the way that, that the show ended. And thinking about what the reboot would be, right, with uh, Ginger and Darren as, like, a, a married couple with their kids. Yeah. yeah. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, that would kind well, of be interesting. We had talked
1: about he's one of the few guys who, quote, unquote, made it out of the friend zone.
2: Yeah. You know what
1: yeah. I mean? Where Oh, yeah. You weren't sure. Yeah. You didn't think he was finally going to get the girl. I mean, you brought up Lizzie see, McGuire and Gordo, to never-land right. Lizzie. But, you know. Right
2: but Darren, Darren did it. And, uh, I mean, that was the great thing about that show is that you get the scripts every week and you didn't know what was happening with the characters. So like the episode when Darren got his braces off and then he became like the hunk and yep. the football players, and, you know, it was just like, Oh, this is fun. This is fun because these characters have these layers and levels and it's not just this one note thing.
1: And these are things um, that happen to people in real life. Yeah, like, like us. Yes. When you go away for the summer and you come back and you're yep. like, dude, you grew like two feet or yep. something crazy. Like, these <laughs> things happen over the summer in real life. That's what I always loved about this show was I couldn't necessarily relate to Ginger from a social because standpoint. We were, we were
0: guys. Well, and even right. on
1: top of that, I was never like, not the cool kid. Not that I was Mr. Popular, but yeah. I didn't have a problem making friends. Yeah. And I never, right. I was never socially awkward. So I couldn't necessarily relate to her, but you can relate right. to the show as a kid and a teenager and going through the motions and dealing with puberty and all these things.
0: And this show was on at a time where it's like, you had shows like rocket power. Rugrats was still popular at the time. The wild thornberries. And, you know, one thing that I loved about this show was that it was for teenagers and it was for kids. You know what I'm saying? And one thing that I liked about your character was like you said, he didn't just stay in that one role. Like Darren was getting girls on the show. You know what I'm saying? And right. I, and I even remember like there was sometimes where it's like Ginger was getting kind of jealous. Cause you know, of this course. is my best friend and he's supposed to be yep. with me, but it's like, no, like I need to get some too. <laughs> right. And, the, and, and the, and the beautiful thing
2: was that, you know, he was getting the girls, but he was still the same guy. yep, Right. That had the braces on before. So he was trying to sort of figure out how to navigate and deal with this new attention. Because, right, because that's the thing that they also don't really talk about is it's like he would look in the mirror and see the brace face kid and not what, you know, these girls are seeing now. And he'd still have to figure out how to act with them and how to kind of deal with being the jock and being the star and all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, um, Emily Emily Kapnick, who created that show and was uh, the head writer for it, um, just does that kind of teen stuff so beautifully where it's very realistic and very layered um, but still palatable and not, you know, not way overblown and not too like complex that, you know, where it's like, well, this doesn't feel real.
1: I guess, you know, switching from there, um, some I know that we're definitely gonna bring up is, you know, Saints Row.
2: Oh yeah. Yep. N- now, now the funny thing about Saints Row is I just I heard that they got a new one that they're about to go yeah, into. We were going to ask ones, you about so, yeah. that
0: too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard I haven't heard anything yet. So, you know, we'll see. Hopefully, uh hopefully they, they know to uh you know bring back the, the original crew well bro, uh, i mean
0: like i remember like when saints row 2 first came out and like i want to say grand theft auto 4 had came out like a few months before that and i was just like yo like this game is so much better than grand theft auto 4 like just with <laughs> everything that you could do in the game the way that uh all of the voice actors uh the stuff that they were saying in the game and everything it was just cool you know what i'm saying yeah
2: yeah i mean, not oh, go ahead. Video game stuff. Video game stuff is, is, um, on the one hand, so much fun to do. And on the other hand is very, very taxing on your voice. Um, because you go in and it's sort of like, all right, so I come in and it's like, all right, you got 450 lines to record today in this session. <laughs> Just like, wow, yeah, that's 450 a lot. lines. And then it'll be like, all right, cool. And so for the last half hour, you're going to be doing your death and kill sounds which is essentially screaming at the top of your lungs (laughs) for like a half hour. And making weird noises. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) exactly. Okay, now you're getting shot. Now you're getting punched. Now you're being set on fire. So the fire noises are a whole different level of scream because it can't just be I'm falling from a building scream. It's I'm on fire scream. So that's all that extra high screechy stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and that's just what, what what it is. But then when you get to sort of experience it in the video game, it's just like, oh, it's this whole world. Uh, I love doing the video game stuff because it's because especially for a game like Saints Row where they lean into the kitsch and they lean into these really amazing storylines that are just ridiculous. Um you get to do all kinds of crazy scenes. The fact that they had um what's his name is the president um um Keith Keith um, David Keith David. We were just the talking president. about him earlier, too. Yo. And the funny thing is, you you know, you walk in the booth and you see those scripts and you're just like, this is amazing. The fact <laughs> that you guys. So <laughs> Keith David as the president. Amazing.
0: So when you guys recorded uh, for the game, like, were you all in the same studio or did you just Not do? Not at
2: all. Okay. It's, every, it's just singular like you come in and you got to just do 400 lines <laughs> for that session and you got to do as many as you can do until until your voice gives out or until they're like okay we, we finished for the day and you just do that for a couple of weeks and that's uh you know that's the game um but yeah you don't interact with or i didn't interact with anybody else and so it's just you know when you get to hear it all cut together it's like oh that's that's what that scene
0: is you so know? were there any other video games that you had did besides the saints rose games um i did like i did i did one of the gta's i did
2: um i did i did this one maybe something heroes it's on my it's on my site or whatever but I, i can't remember the game but all i remember was it was um i was especially excited because it was a world war ii game and i was playing a german soldier and the reason why i was excited about that is because i do a pretty decent german accent and i would never otherwise ever get to use that it's like on camera never you're never gonna see you're never gonna see an american uh black actor with a german accent in a film unless maybe i'll maybe i'll write that maybe i'll do that yeah i mean like Um, it's it's one of those
0: things that you never know i mean because it's i remember uh when i was younger i mean it's still even to this day it's like When British actors, it's like they have the American accents and then when they're being interviewed, he's just like, oh, wow, like I didn't know that they was British.
2: So I got a story about that. So I um, there was this movie that I did called uh, Delivering Milo and it was starring. uh, He was young at the time. um, Anton Yelchin, who uh, who passed tragically a couple of years ago from Star Trek um and this movie was him as this basically the concept was heaven was um like corporate and so you have all these angels in suits and they and this one particular aspect of heaven was in charge of you know, birthing babies and, and putting new people out into the world. And it was this very clockwork situation. And so in this particular story, the kid didn't want to be born. And it was this whole thing about like, Oh, we got to sort of get him out there. And I was uh, playing one of like the corporate suits who had to deal with this guy that they were bringing down from like limbo, not from heaven, not really from hell, but like this guy who needed to kind of like, <laughs> it was Albert Finney who played him. And it was kind of like, he had this sort of like, prove his worth to get into heaven, I guess. And so his job was, oh, you got to get this kid to want to be born. Yeah. Um, and so the funny thing about that, so that was, it was uh, me and uh, John yeah. Cho was also in it. And we were, we were playing these these roles. And when I went to audition for it, the role was for a, a British, it was a British character. Yeah. And so I went in with the accent and the casting director was British and I didn't break accent. And she literally did think that I was from some part in London. <laughs> um, and that was, that was the thing. I was like, you know, that was the thing that i had learned <laughs> in all these years. It's like, if you're, if you're going in for something that you're, you know, kind of not, if it's an accent or a role, a lot of times, sometimes, depending on who the casting director is, you know, you got to walk in the door as that character. They yeah. don't necessarily want to see you come in as Ken Michael and then, oh, now I turn it on because at that point, you know, some of the magic is gone. Right. So I came in. As that character, she thought I was British. Um, I ended up getting the role, and we shot. They finished the movie, and uh, we, had, we ended up coming back to do some reshoots. And the director told me, he was like, you know what's crazy? He said, we screened it in a def- couple of different places in the, in the country. We were in Orange County uh, in California. And some of the notes we got was, why is the, uh, the African American speaking with a British accent? Right. And so the director was like, because maybe he's not African-American, right? Like, right, Maybe yeah. he's not American, right? Like maybe he's actually British, but that was, that was the thing. So it was like, so I had, I had just done that thing. And I was, I remember when I did press for that, I was doing, I would go in and I would start an interview with the British accent and I would do the whole thing and then pretend like, a, you know, so it'd be like, well, maybe like, well, how did you get into, the, well, you know, um, me and my mates, we used to watch um, the telly a lot and, um, <laughs> Growing up, I've i really enjoyed like all this stuff, and I just really wanted to be on television and um, really you know do the acting thing. And so when I came to the states, I had to learn a really good American accent in order to do the work. But like you know, this is how I normally talk, right? And so like so the interview was like, wow, that's pretty good. I was like, no, I, I that's a British accent. I'm. I mean, well, it was pretty good, thick- bro.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So,
2: so this particular, so this video game, this video game, I got to do it my German accent as these German soldiers. And, you know, and that was, that was a lot of fun because again, it was this thing that I enjoyed kind of doing in real life, uh, just kind of tripping people out where, you know, like, Oh, Hey, I, you know, I would just start speaking as if, you know, I didn't really speak too much English, but I was German and weird stuff, but, but it was, it was fun to, uh, to do sometimes, you know, you get those um, those accents. That some accents you can do a little bit better than others, and so you enjoy doing them. And especially with the German stuff, um, that's hard. Music so- to me. Well, yeah, and and the funny thing about the German is a lot of it is um, sort of the, the attitude um, and how you uh, put your words together um, to say specific things, and how you chop up the sentences so that there is a, a bit of that. Uh, not smooth, but it's clearly a different language It's your first language it's It's and, a very um,
1: harsh language it's
2: very harsh very yes. harsh, but somehow i it is easier for me to do and um w- the music software that I was using heavily at that time uh was called logic audio, and um this was before Apple bought them yeah, and, logic and, um, pro yeah, and so I was a beta tester for them uh for a number of years, and I just was just idolizing all the the developers who built mm-hmm. the software. And they were all from Germany. And I remember being in uh, one of the beta meetings where they were showing off some new features. And the guy was going to say, so we've, we're going to add these 50 parameters to the window. And uh, and I was like, ooh, parameters? Ooh, that's a, good one. <laughs> that's a good way to pronounce that. And So you just pick up a lot of these little things yeah. that you can use. So, you know, it's just, it's just fun. It's, and it's, it's the thing that I love about voiceovers is that again, your physical appearance has nothing to do with what you can actually do, um, voice wise. So you get to be anything and do any kind of character as long as you can nail that character. And yeah. I love that. I love that.
1: Now, just to plug them, you know, so they get the proper credit. Is this soldiers heroes of world war two?
2: Oh, I don't know. Uh, well, I don't remember I don't think it was getting oh. the
1: credit <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I, I I don't remember I, I just remember doing the session um there was a there was another session that I remember ha- uh, going in to do and um the the character was like super 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 gangster super like you know in the street and all you know this whole stereotypical voice and all right. that kind of stuff and I remember showing up for the session and the um the director was this British guy and we we're having this really nice conversation just about random stuff and I'm, you know, talking like this or whatever and then and then I think he realized he's like, "Oh, you're supposed to be doing this character?" And there was a moment where he almost said, "Are you able to do that voice? Is are you going to be able to?" <laughs> and I was going, "Are you serious?" all right, let's get in the booth. And, I mean, this is what you guys paid me to do. You're going to, like, ask me a question if, like, oh, because you speak this way normally. I don't know if you can do this other kind of voice or accent or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, then you just get in the booth and you just nail it. And they go, oh, oh okay, that's great. That's great.
1: Well, I mean, but, have I, I don't know if you're a fan of the show, but, I mean, have you ever seen anybody from Power that um, – Oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. does an interview like it's they just sound like regular dudes you know what i okay. mean
0: yeah so, and that's the thing exactly
1: act- That i mean that's literally why it's called acting right
0: that's what yep. that's the yep. point of it so exactly. we so we've heard that you know you know you did voice over work you've done music on shows and whatnot have you ever directed or produced anything mm-hmm um
2: i've done i've directed pretty much every kind of format except for theater. So I've done commercials. I've done, uh, did some sitcom stuff, some multi-camera reality shows, docu-series, uh, did a feature film with Kel. I've done short films. And so I've I've done all kinds of stuff, um, with all kinds of genres and all kinds of vibes and all kinds of stuff. And, um, and that's, and that's been great. And so it's kind of like after all these years of, of kind of, uh, sort of circling around and doing all these different roles. It's nice because it's sort of like I'm coming into this new era in my life where um, a lot of the stuff that I've been wanting to do for a long, long, long time uh, is possible now in terms of the industry, but more importantly, the delivery methods of how people enjoy content. Um so the fact that you can build whatever you want to build and build your distribution system within it, that's really, really exciting. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot more stuff from me uh, as a sort of an all out, well-rounded creator from the directing side, the writing, more acting stuff in front of the camera, music, technology, especially. That's another big thing. I've been developing some technology as well and uh, programming and coding. And so there's a whole lot of, whole lot of stuff coming down the pike.
1: Now, something that I want to ask you, aside from the acting thing, is more the you know the music stuff because I am a music engineer myself. Went to school oh, nice. for it, and um, you know, for me, I just feel like even though I'm completely you know in the box, and I really don't use a lot of analog gear, I mm-hmm. still feel like that late '90s, early 2000s is like the best, the best recordings that you'll ever have in my opinion you know just from what i hear in my ear because a lot of times now people you don't nobody's really recording in big time studios anymore even the biggest hit songs you know what i mean it's usually in a bedroom yep so going from then now as to what you were working on i didn't know how big you had built your you know equipment up in your room versus what are you working with now
2: (laughs) so so it's it's such a great question um so when I started um so we're talking now like mid early to mid 80s which is when I was really like introduced to the technology. So then the biggest thing that had just kind of hit was Sony's dash recorder the uh 3348 machine which was a reel to reel 24 track digital machine which was brand new at the time and ridiculously expensive. And that was the beginning of this transition from analog to digital. And I remember uh, I was always a big fan of the digital because I loved working with computers. I loved working with samplers and drum machines and even digital synthesizers. Um, For some reason, it was just my preferred aesthetic. I... You know the, the the whole conversation about like the analog uh, vibe and the the fatness and the warmth and all that stuff. nobody was really talking about that then because analog tape was the norm. If you were recording something, it was going to be on analog tape unless you had the new fangled digital thing. But those very, very big studios had that. Um, and then over the years, when I sort of started building my own studio, it was all pretty much Mac based and sequencer based. Um, but then again, you know, sort of the hand-me-down stuff was a big thing. So my studio as a kid in Stanford, Connecticut, I had a, a Studer, uh, two inch 24 track machine. I had three Yamaha DMP sevens, which were their first sort of big digital mixers. Um, and it was, it was glorious. Right. And then of course, Then I moved out to LA and I. then it was sort of like, all right, now this is, you know, I've got Pro Tools, I've got Logic, I'm running all these these pieces of gear that from the developers, they're saying, oh, these aren't really supposed to work together. But I was like patching things together and doing all kinds of hybrid stuff using like Logic's audio engine with TDM and native at the same time. And back in the early 2000s, that was like the big thing, native versus DSP and TDM. And I had all the keyboards and all the modules, but like software synths were just starting to pop up so it was like i was really excited about that and plugins and the whole thing the holy grail was you were trying to get that analog sound you were trying to get that sound of tape you were trying to like get all that stuff in the box and you were also trying to make your mixes sound good in the box and just the years of working of trying to really get that sound that was in your head to happen in the box was it was insane smash cut to right now um everything's fantastic Uh, like my studio now is primarily just my laptop and a couple of controllers. Uh, I do scoring in logic, but I do pretty much the rest of my music stuff in Ableton. So like, I've got a push Mm -hmm. and some native instruments, controllers, and like just all the software. And I, I have no issues with the sounds that I'm getting or, you know, like I, for so long, wanted to have that, build that hybrid analog digital studio. Like I was like, oh, I got to have another tape machine. I got to get into my stepdad. It's like, this was, and this was like 15 years ago. And I was telling him, I was like, I want to get another tape machine. He was like, why? Yeah. I was like, well, just, just to get that warmth. And he's like, no, that's not, <laughs> he was like, he's like, don't get caught up in the hype. He's like, first of all, if you get a tape machine, where are you going to buy tape from? And are you really prepared to spend that much for rolls of tape? And you got to maintain the machine. And where are you going to get parts? And like, oh, it was all this stuff. And I was like, yeah. And then years later, I was like, yeah, no, he was totally, totally right. But at that time, I was like, oh, but I got to have the analog console and with the digital and this and that. And now I don't even, I don't miss analog anything. I don't miss tape. I don't even miss analog consoles. I feel it's the same way that I feel about where we are in our um, visual Technology in terms of you know the cameras now, the cinema cameras, digital cinema cameras. I feel like with there, it used to be like, okay, we're gonna, you know, film this pristine image and then we're gonna muck it up and add film grain and do all these LUTs and all this stuff to try and make it look more like film. Now I just enjoy the pure image, right? I just enjoy the pure image of whatever that digital is, but really high-end digital, beautiful color science, rich colors, great dynamic range. And I feel the same way with audio now. I feel like the tools are so amazing that there's no real limit. It's the limit is just whatever you can imagine. Uh, so I don't, I don't really even miss the desire to sort of have the hybrid studio. I just feel like this stuff is so good. The software is so good. The tape emulations, whether or not they sound just like tape, I don't care. Does it sound like a texture that I want? Perfect. That's what I want
1: yeah um, I mean, again, I'm huge you know, into the automation of of music, you know, especially when it comes to I'm super big on vocals, yep, so now nowadays, you know you're getting these like crazy automated echoes and reverbs and all this oh, stuff yeah. going in and out and all this panning and stuff like that just always like blows my mind, you know it's it's a whole science, you know,
2: oh absolutely. And it's, you know, and what it's it's what's available when you have the tools to literally automate down to the sample level, you know, where I remember, you know, back in the day when you were doing mixes before you were using automation, you know, a mix was a performance. And so if you couldn't do it by yourself, you had a couple of other people with you. Okay, so you're going to, you know, you're going to do the vocal rides over there. I'm going to do the mutes on the drums. You're going to do, you know, the guitars and the backgrounds. And it was a whole thing because you had to perform the mix. And if you messed up, you had to go back to the beginning or you would splice versions together. You know, even with uh, when I started sort of doing my own little short films and I would build up these nice little soundtracks and sound effects and music and stuff. And there was no automation. Pro Tools at the time was the first version of Pro Tools was just four channels of audio. Um, and you know, you had to, you had to perform that mix. And if you messed up, you had to go right back to the beginning and start again. I don't miss those days. Uh, I know a lot of people are nostalgic. I remember I was going through a a point where I was like, oh, I'm going to buy a lot of the same gear that I had when I was a kid, just for nostalgic value. I'm going to get like these drum machines or this keyboard and all that stuff. And I got them from eBay or whatever. And I plugged them in and I thought like, yeah, I'm going to integrate this into my music setup. And I'm like, uh. Not really. I'll just sample it and then that'll be it. (laughs) I'll be fine. Obviously, you can't, you know, sampling an analog synthesizer, that's, you know, that's blasphemy. But, um, but yeah, you know, I just feel like all the tools are there visual, audio, music, and all this, the computer stuff and the computer technology is just so beautiful. And software is just amazing with some really good hardware that gets you in and out conversion wise. And that's kind of like it, especially because of the way that we, consume content yeah, these yeah, days exactly. like, people are listening to songs on the iphone speaker and they're like yeah jamming out and i'm just like 15 years ago that would have been like oh don't do that please put you know but it's like hmm. however you want to enjoy the content is however you want to enjoy the content
0: okay so now that i wanted to go ahead and get into uh cannon busters yeah okay so <laughs> so like how did you get into this like before well before we get to canon busters um, are you a fan of anime or manga? Right. So here's here's here's
2: my thing. Like I'm I love anime. I'm not extremely well versed on it. So here's here are my big anime influences, right? Akira and Ghost in the Shell. Um and those that's kind of where I get a lot of my anime sensibilities from. Because uh, just the story of Akira you know just blew my mind back in the day and I just loved you know firstly I would watch the English dub there was one particular English dub that I had on my Acura laser disc from the early 90s and they redid the dub yeah, uh, for I guess all the digital remastering, and I, uh and I was like, I missed the old dub.
1: Yeah, the ADV <laughs> dub, I believe, is what it was.
2: Oh man, because it was just you know, if you're not listening to the to the original Japanese audio, um, which is great, of course, as well. But like that one, I just fell in love with that particular English dub, probably because that was the one I grew up with, um, and I just didn't really enjoy the new ones as much. Um, so, so the anime stuff, I would, I loved, and I would watch, but I didn't really get too much into. The Dragon Ball Z stuff as much or that kind of stuff. It was pretty much just a lot of those like super super high concept crazy you know AI robot type anime things. Um, and so being able to do cannabusters, Well, before I did Cannon Busters, I did this um, dub for this movie called MKFZ. Um, yeah, we, which we were, we were going to
1: bring that up too because that's that that one's stacked
2: with you know a cast. Oh man, and that's you know so. So the interesting thing is the, the 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 dots, right? Of getting to Cannabusters and MKFZ was um, so the guy who did the music for As Told by Ginger, um, this guy named Jared Faber. I uh, met him because I had to go over to his his studio one time to do a record. Darren was like singing a song at the end of one of the episodes, so I had to go to his his studio to sort of record that. And before I got there, everybody was like, "Oh, you're gonna love Jared. Like you guys are so like similar and blah 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 blah." And I went over, you know, and me and him just became like instant friends because we're both like gearheads and tech heads, and we're just you know like loving the gear and loving the music, and so we just became friends. One of his friends is this guy named Michael Center Nicholas, who um, is a voice actor, great voice actor, but also does a lot of directing and has a, a post company that does a lot of these dubs, these English dubs. Um, and so we became friends, and and his producer, he works with Stephanie Shea, and so we've known each other for years. And uh, last year at some point I got, you know, just through my, my voiceover agent, I got these two auditions that were really, really interesting because the, the characters and stuff were just like, it was just unlike a lot of the other kind of things I was getting, right? Um, and so it was the MKFZ and Cannon Busters. It was kind of like the same thing, and they were both coming from Michael and, and Stephanie. And the the direction on both of them was like, well, Cannon Busters specifically was Cannon Busters was like, well, you know, usually when they push out roles to like black actors, you know, the 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 sense is, okay, well, if it's coming to a black actor, then they're going to want a little bit of that quote unquote black dialect right, right yeah. and that sounds crazy to say but that's that's a real thing as a black actor like that's you know it's like if they're if they don't want that they'll just hire a white actor right like yeah. and so if you're getting an audition it's like oh you there's an, a slight and it's and it's so subconscious but it's just that that expectation that you're gonna put a little quote-unquote flavor on it right and it's like this is 2019 and it's still like that hasn't let up at all but canonbusters specifically they were like we don't want any any flavor put on it at all. We just, because it's not about that. And I was like, Ooh, that's fun. That'll be interesting. Um, so I ended up booking the MKFZ and I had to, I did a couple more things for Cannon Busters because LaShawn wanted to hear some like different aspects of my voice and all that kind of stuff. But I ended up booking both of those things. And, nice. uh, so, so Michael directed me on both of those, uh, the, the MKFZ film and the Cannon Busters And, I want this was maybe my first time really being directed by him and he was killing it. I mean, he really of, you know, of all the stuff that I've done, I will say like these last two, the MKFC and Cannon Busters, are really kind of some of my favorite performances because you know, Michael's bringing out all of these like layers and all of these things. Like, he was, you know, really making me act and work. And a lot of times when you get these dubs that are just doing the English dubs like a lot of these houses, it's just like a factory and it's just like, Oh, whatever, just say the lines, make sure it's, you know, synced with the with lip flap and we'll move on. But, uh, Michael and Stephanie, like they, they really put a lot of detail work in, into it. And so it just became this really awesome experience of really kind of diving into these characters and pulling out these really kind of layered rich performances. Um, and I just, I had a great time. So by the time we got to cannon busters, Oh my gosh, because playing a character like Philly, having that kind of energy where he's always angry, he's always irritated, he's yep. exploding and having these like rants. Oh, I love those. Because that's actually an aspect I liked about anime was those explosive moments, right? Where they would do the graphics and their face would get all distorted and they'd go into this like other reality kind of thing and everything is all weird. And then it would go right back to the to the scene. I love that. And to be able to sort of play that for episodes and episodes and that be like his thing. We just had so much fun. We had so much fun. And of course, LaShawn's vision, it was just beautiful and epic and amazing. And so to hear him talk about his intentioning for the series to see some of the, you know, they were, when we were recording, they were still working on the last couple of episodes from an animation perspective. So he would show me like the roughs of how they were putting the scenes together. And I'm just like, that is unbelievably fascinating and the amount of work that goes into these kinds of shows is just incredible yeah incredible
0: yeah i know Mm -hmm. i was i was telling travis about Lashawn and how like he did work on stuff like black dynamite and the boondocks and you know when you really think about because i mean like growing up black uh we love anime you know what i'm saying and yeah, we we want to see that representation because it's like, of course, like like I said, growing up, when you see most animes, it's like they would just have white characters in the show. So yep. when you yep. do finally get an anime where it's like most of the cast of characters on the show is predominantly black, and yep. they're voiced by black actors, you know what I'm saying? Because I was yep. even telling a yep. guy at my job that most uh, animes that had black characters up there back in the day, it's like they were voiced by white actors. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't sound black at all. But it's like when you watch Cannon Busters, it's like when you see the black characters, they're voiced by black actors. You know what I'm saying? I think that that's cool. And the representation matters. I mean, like, it it goes back to what you were saying about back when you were younger and how when they wanted black actors, they only wanted them to do... Just the one dimensional characters, you know, either mm-hmm. thug or, yep. or or something else. Whereas like now yep. it's like the sky's the limit. You know what I'm saying? You can it's do true. you can do anything. And uh we had we had another voice actor up here before, his name is uh Chris Piper. And mm-hmm. he was just telling us like how the voice acting field is so huge now for diversity because yeah. back then it's like you had like one guy voicing 10 characters on the everything. show everything yep whereas yep. now it's like you can have you're bringing in these new voice actors and it's like all right you're voicing this character you're voicing that character and it's like you sound different because uh, i mean like going back to dragon ball z it's like even though the voice actor uh like christopher sabbath like we love christopher sabbath but it's yeah. like you can tell which characters he is because it's like it's because his voice you know what i'm saying right right Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the
2: crazy thing about the voice game is that, um, yeah, there's still, you know, it's opened up a little bit. But at the end of the day, right, the crazy thing is that the super, super talented ones who can do just 100 voices and they just end up getting a lot of the work because it's like the producers and directors, oh, well, they will just we'll keep using the same people that we're used to because they can do all the things that we want them to do. Um, And so sometimes becomes a hard sort of bit to 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 get into because there's so you know, like I've done a couple of series with Cree Summer, for example. Yeah. Who's like, I mean, a legend in the game. Yeah, I mean, everybody she knows was, who
0: Cree Summer is.
2: Penny from Inspector Gadget is how yeah. far she goes back. Um, and I was doing this pilot with her. And because, um, of course, she was an asshole by Ginger. <clears throat> but we did this pilot together and it was her and um, Tom Kenny who did uh, Spongebob voice, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and I just remember <laughs> I was in a room with the, with the two of them. And I think there was another voice actor who's another like legend. And I just was going, wow, like, I, it's amazing for me to be here it's slightly intimidating because the amount of skill right so the director of this pilot was uh the guy who was the voice of ba- uh, buster bunny and as well as uh cow and chicken and the devil mm-hmm. it, like he did all three of those voices in that show right that's crazy. and so he's so he's like this really super well-known like director in that industry and he's known for his super, super intense sessions because he's just, because he can do it all. So he kind of demands that from his actors. And I remember uh, he had uh, Tom Kenny do something, it was like some bit and the back and forth, how quick it was like, all right, so he's falling off a cliff. All right, so give me the fall sound. Okay, now do it like he's spinning around. Okay, now do it like he's spinning around and he's holding like an anvil. Okay, now do it when he's like, he's off a car. And every time the adjustment, Tom Kenny would do something completely different But hitting it dead on, spot on, at a blistering pace. Like, there was no time to be like, oh, let me figure out what I want to do. Like, no, it was automatic. And that's how good these, like, people are at the top of their game, right? Which makes it harder for new people to come in who, you know, might, you know what I mean? Because it's sort of like these these cats who can do all of those voices, they just do all of those (laughs) voices. Um, But again because the amount of content that's coming these new creators these new distribution platforms yeah it's opening up so we can get something like a canon busters on netflix that feels amazing that is super well done um hopefully we get a, a second season i mean like that yeah, would be, i was just about to ask you about that
0: because i mean like i like how it ended on the cliffhanger a spoiler alert yeah. for people that's yeah. listening <laughs> but i like how it ended on the cliffhanger and it's like okay I want season 2, man. Like for real, like this is a really good show. I've re- I've recommended it to a bunch of people, especially if you grew up in the 90s early 2000s yep. watching animes yep. like Cowboy Bebop and Trigun right. and, and sa- even Samurai Champloo. It's like you have all mm. of that mixed into this anime. And then you have mechs too. Like who doesn't love mechs? Oh, man. And you know, it what's crazy about it is that uh doing
2: my scenes, I'm only seeing my scenes. So when the show came out and I got to see like all those other stories being intertwined that I didn't even know about, I mean, you know, like they, they would make reference to them, but to see how these other stories were just beautifully woven together was just really, it was really beautiful. And I, you know, I was in New York when, um, when the, when the show came out on Netflix and I was, just, I was watching it with my sister and just really just being like, wow, like I felt really honored to be a part of this particular project. It felt really good well, that's, because that's I really cool, liked how man. it came out, and it was
0: like, "Wow, like this is really nice."
2: <laughs> it's a re- it's a really really good show.
0: Yeah, and, and it's like when you think about it too, like you're pretty much a part of history because like a lot of uh, a lot of black fl- fans or blurs, as we like to call ourselves. Yeah, man. Um, yep. When we think card-carrying about Card-carrying black- member, <laughs> oh, oh, what was that? I'm sorry. I said card carrying member. Like, bro, from and day like, one blurred. You- when you think of like the black animes i know some people don't consider the boondocks but i consider the boondocks anime totally Uh, you really only have what boondocks black dynamite and afro samurai and that's pretty much it that's pretty much it
1: but here's the thing with those though again they do fall into those stereotype categories in a lot of sense where cannon busters is strictly There's no the only thing that makes them black is literally skin tone. Yeah, I agree. There's nothing yep. in there that you can hear or say they must right. be black or something like yeah, that. Right. But you can kind of in Afro Samurai where it's like Samuel Jackson just yelling and yeah. doing what he does. Oh yeah. And of course well, see, we that, all know that was, Boondocks.
2: Yeah, of course, of course. And that and that you know that was Lashawn's thing where he was like, "This is not, this is not about African Americans. This exactly. is exactly. You know this this is taking place in a completely different." realm a completely different thing so it's not about any of the American stuff it's not about any of those stereotypes or any of those tropes and I and that's what I really loved about it because we got to create from that space instead of you know going back to what you know everybody else has kind of done or what's kind of expected or that kind of thing like we got to really just be like all right so what what would this sound like and so you know getting Philly's character it took it took a few episodes for for Philly's character to really kind of settle. I feel like personally for me, it wasn't until like episode four where I really started to be like, okay, I know how Philly would sound going into this scene now. Like I know what he you know what his reaction is gonna kind of be and sonically and what I have to kind of do to my voice. Right. Um, you know, because that was the thing. We were trying to find it for for a minute. We were trying to find it find it for a minute.
1: But I think that's the great thing about LaShawn is I don't he's not necessarily like pigeonholed into this like guy who writes stri- strictly for black entertainment.
2: Yeah. I mean, right, when exactly. you
1: really look at his catalog, I mean, he's worked on Lizzie McGuire, yep. Quora, yeah. yep. Um yep. Batman, Green Lantern. A I'm, lot of animation. You know, he's bro. worked on all these things. So for him to present something that, and this is, you know, a comic strip that he wrote. you Like right. this is a story that's right. written by him. This is, this him. is his, this his is baby. His yeah. material. Yeah. And he's making a point to say, you know, the only thing that makes it black entertainment is the skin tone and right. we can have things for black people that isn't, that meets this little checklist that unfortunately most of Hollywood has.
0: Yeah. yeah yep. Yep. Uh, one yeah. one thing that I wanted to ask you, uh, this goes back to when you was talking about uh, when you were in the room with Tom and Cree and, you know, these legendary voice actors and actresses, uh, a legend in the voice acting field who I, who I really love is Phil Lamar. Did you oh ever my gosh. happen to work with oh him yeah. at all?
2: Um, we've never worked together, uh, but we, but, but we, we, we would always cross paths. And just a nice guy, super nice guy, super talented, and and just you know him, um, Kenneth Michael Richardson, mm-hmm. um, who's another oh like, yeah, he's insane. a legend too, man. It's, oh my gosh, you know, and the and these are these are the cats who are just like they're just killing the game, and you just and you look at their output and you look at the the, the variety of characters that they've played on all these different projects and all these sh- different shows, and it's inspiring. It's inspiring. I mean, it's it's a it's a wonderful way to make a living. I feel. You know, there's like this um, this index of of how strenuous it is, depending on what kind of thing you're doing as an actor. Um, And so at the top of the list, I put like, you know, in terms of like they're going to be working you tough is if you're doing like an hour long drama on television. And if you're the star of that drama, oh, my gosh, you're always working and it's always very intense and the schedule's nuts. Uh, if you're on a sitcom, multi-camera sitcom, like old days on the stage, that's probably one of the easiest jobs as an actor, relatively. Again, I'm not saying that it doesn't take work and skill and all that kind right. of stuff. But when you think about, okay, I have to read these lines. There's some jokes in here. I just got to hit these jokes and hit my marks and know the blocking. Like, That's pretty easy as far as like a work thing goes. I remember um, after the parenthood, I did an, um, a, a guest episode on living single.
0: Oh, nice! That's another and, classic show. Oh my gosh!
2: So that show is so classic. So normally, when you know when you, you when you're starting on a new sitcom, the normal schedule is five day five days of work, right? Monday through Friday. You're rehearsing Monday through Wednesday. You have some run throughs at Wednesday, and then uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday. You're kind of like. Thursday, you're blocking with camera and you're shooting a little bit. And then Friday, you do your show with the audience, right? And that's usually how a sitcom would go, like new sitcom, five days. You go a couple of seasons, you get good. They cut that five days down to four days, right? Now they've compressed the schedule a little bit because everything's pretty much locked in and we can get rid of a day, right? You're still getting paid the same, but now you're just working four days. Living single was on three-day weeks, That was amazing because you basically go on set and the director was just kind of like maintaining people because the actors by that point, they knew their characters better than anybody else on set. So the scene would happen, and instead of a director kind of going, Okay, so for the blocking, we're gonna start you guys here, and then you're gonna walk in, all that stuff, the actors blocked themselves. (laughs) They were just like, All right, so we're gonna come in and we're just gonna do this thing, and the directors just kind of taking notes. All right, I'm gonna put my cameras here, blah, blah, blah. Three-day shoot, it was the most amazingly efficient shoot I had ever been on as far as sitcom work. And so you would talk about like that three days of work on that and you're still making the same amount of money. Oh, that was amazing. But again, on the other side, drama. Oh my gosh. Always working feature films, a little bit of a slower schedule. If it's a bigger budget, right? They have a lot more wait time. Um, but voiceover work, of course it's taxing on your voice depending on the thing. But the beauty of it is, is that you get to go in a booth and be silly. So I would say that's the most fun type of work that you can have as an actor.
0: So what's next for you? Because I like I had just looked and I saw that, you know, Cannon Busters was the most current thing that you you worked on. Like, so what's what's the yeah. next big project for you?
2: I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff, man. Like, um, I've been developing uh, technology in the uh, music field over the last couple of years, uh, building an instrument that deals with um, sacred and healing sound frequencies and harmonics. Um, so if you're into sound baths or experimenting with you know, sacred number sequences and how that affects your music, or if you're dealing with uh, frequencies that are resonating to certain uh, body or energetic fields like chakras or... States or anything like that, like this allows you to integrate any of that work into your normal music, electronic music uh, production workflow. And um, that's kind of a, a big thing. I, you know, I have this love for, for technology and I have this love of, well, you know, we're, we're all spiritual beings. So that yeah. is inherent. And so bringing those two things together, I feel is kind of the, it's kind of the future, you know, we're building AI and we're doing all this stuff. And we were told decades ago, just don't build Skynet. Don't build (laughs) Skynet. And what are we doing? We're building Skynet. We're like, all these countries have Skynet. We're doing all these things, and we're imbuing this uh, new intelligence with all of our biases and flaws as humans, and not imbuing uh, our inherent spirituality into it. And so the thing that I'm fascinated and curious about is, there's all this ancient knowledge about, you know, where we come from and a lot of these sort of more subtle etheric practices and ways to sort of affect energy around. And if we can combine that with this amazing technology that we're building, I think there's there's some really cool stuff that we can do there that can help sort of push the ball forward from an evolutionary perspective, for humans and all other beings on this planet. And so that's kind of where my focus is. And so even from the acting and the directing standpoint, writing stories and directing projects that have some of those concepts in it so that, you know, you're watching something and you leave with another, a new thought, something that you hadn't really thought about before, but now you can kind of crunch on it. That's the stuff that I really enjoyed growing up. Those films that really kind of made you, it opened your mind a bit and go, oh, I didn't even think about that possibility. But now that's possible in my mind. And what can come from that? The beautiful thing that I love about watching these old science fiction movies, you go all the way back to like 2001, and you look at some of the stuff that they had visually in that, where you're looking at things that look like iPads in the late 60s. Yeah. And all this stuff. And I truly believe that art, influences science which influences art so you have coming from the mind of, of of somebody who pulls an idea down um that doesn't exist right techno the technology behind it isn't there yet but they're going to put it in this movie and they're going to actually make it a real thing now you've got this generation of technologists and scientists who grew up going like oh i got to build this communicator that was in star trek oh that becomes an iphone or becomes or something i like yeah, yeah, all these things that I, I truly believe. So, so that's kind of what's next for me is really kind of getting into that, uh, to that thing, and working with the new sort of uh, technologies for storytelling as well. VR, AR, uh, three sixty dome stuff. Um, there's all kinds of new storytelling technology that that uh, I feel can really help us get to the next level. Because as much as I love you know looking at these rectangle uh, boxes on screens. Um, that's cool, but let's, let's take that one step further.
1: Yeah, man, that's, that's like next level stuff. You know what I mean? The things that you don't even think you're going to see in your lifetime, you know?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's a cool thing. You know, I don't know, I don't know if you guys are up on like, uh, Ray Kurzweil or any of that stuff, but, um, you know, there's all these books that he wrote about the coming of AI and he was writing this stuff in the nineties and, I went back and read some of the books that he wrote in the nineties predicting sort of the technology that was going to come in the, in the following decades. And the dope thing about him is that he was just so spot on, on so much stuff. And when I first learned about the concept of the singularity and all that kind of stuff, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, totally. That's totally going to happen. But the the question is, is, you know, what, what is it going to look like? What are we creating? Are we going to create from our fear or are we going to create from our love? And I want to create from love. So that's 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 what I'm doing.
1: Well, we applaud that over here. And uh, we really appreciate, you know, you giving us as
2: much time as you gave us tonight. Oh, thank you so much, guys. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Yeah, we did. too, man. Like, bro, it's like because I've been a fan, but it's like I found out like so much more about you tonight, man. And we really appreciate you coming on and doing this for us, bro.
2: Uh, thanks, man. Well, thank you. Like I said, for reaching out, uh, because, uh, you know, it's, it's nice when you, when you, when you do stuff and, um, and people get to enjoy it. I mean, it's always nice to hear people enjoy something that you worked on and that you worked hard on. It just, it feels great. So I appreciate you guys.
0: Yeah. So I'm wrapping this up before we let you go. Please tell everybody in social media land where they can find you at.
2: Okay. So I am Ken Michael, Ken with two N's K E N N m-i-c-h-a-e-l and that's pretty much me on everything instagram twitter uh i deleted facebook so that's uh that's a whole other story but uh but yeah you can find me at ken michael pretty much everywhere
0: all right cool Oh, and uh Kenmichael.com for my website yeah cool all right so again thank you again for joining us bro and we'll talk to you again soon have Sounds a good great. day thanks guys you too appreciate Peace. it all right bye hey bro like how awesome was that Like, just hearing, like, Ken's story and all of the awesome stories that he had from behind the scenes with guys like Eddie Murphy. Yeah. What? And
1: even before that, though, the fact that we were supposed to record this podcast yesterday and we had this crazy freak thing over here where a a tree fell, a tree fell, knocked over the power line, which yanked the Transformer out, which set off all the electricity in my neighborhood and so the internet was out Cox like Cox lost full internet and cable and all that stuff the electricity was gone the electricity was finally able to come back on later on in the night but Cox was still down they were dealing with whatever they had to deal with it, anything that could have gone wrong with us recording this podcast yesterday out. did it well, was bro, it was a full, and, it was a
0: full moon out
1: and the fact that um he was just like it's not even an issue we'll do it
0: tomorrow and that was just, cool so yeah we he didn't really have to we do that. we really appreciate that and plus it was Friday Friday you know what I'm saying so it's, it's like,
1: Friday nah Friday. don't sing that
0: song if you're gonna sing a Friday song sing the Katy Perry one nah bro it's put some Friday respect on Rebecca night. Black
1: man put some respect. But you had, your, Black. but
0: you had Kenny G in the video. Kenny though. G, you know oh, what like I'm saying? Katy Perry. But yeah, like we really appreciate Ken coming on with us and, you know, just doing this with us, man. And like, like I said, we learned so much more about him. From the stuff that I did know about him, like, right, and like the story that he had with Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci writing him uh, a letter for college, man, like that's cool. Bro. And then
1: we could just get to hear who he is as a person, yeah. some of the spiritual stuff, and yeah. what he's trying to do moving forward to help people and things like that. I mean, come, he's a stand-up guy. Yeah, he's man. a
0: phenomenal person, man. And make sure you go and you follow him on all of his social exactly. media accounts. Support- yeah, support him and like we just hope nothing but good things to keep coming his way
1: i think this is the first podcast we've done where it was like serious the whole way through
0: yeah like i didn't say that's what she said you didn't say that's what she said we didn't
1: crack any jokes. we
0: didn't talk about r kelly no
1: we didn't crack any jokes or nothing man we kept it bro the, i think we just I, had a real good like heart-to-heart conversation with the man about
0: i think it's time that you know we put R. Kelly, that's what she said, put all of to that bed? in the closet. We, let's put let's R. Kelly to
1: bed and piss on him.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's how we're going <laughs> to end this podcast? Oh, make God. sure you rate
1: and subscribe us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast needs. And make sure you follow us Follow us on all social media links at Leveling Up Bank. That's on and Instagram. And as you know. Give us a follow on Patreon. Because we Going need at, money. I, I
0: was waiting for you to say Cause it. Because we, we need that need money. That
1: money. We follow us on Twitter, money. too. <laughs> follow
0: us. And follow us on Facebook. We're on all social media platforms. Like my boy said, at Leveling Up Banks. And like he also said about Patreon, if you give us a dollar, it counts. If you give us 50 cents, it counts. Just give us something because we got bills to pay. You know what I'm saying?
1: And if you're looking to just interact with us, man, and uh, all of our you know online buddies... Make sure you join the Roshi's Island Facebook group, man. Just yep. Google it. It'll pop up. We're up to, God, how many Over members 4, now? 4,000
0: members. I remember when we Organically first. Organically, too. It's, when we first started, it was only like 20 members now look at And this, it's really
1: built organically of people saying man this group's real cool we have a lot of great conversations and have fun
0: it sucks we lost the page though but <laughs> hey. hey
1: it is what it is, it man, is what we got it the is. group and that's what yeah matters. we got the
0: group and that's what matters and make sure that you follow me your boy benjamin banks on instagram and twitter at king benji and then you can find me on facebook by just typing in benjamin banks and i should be the first person that pops up if not and just keep scrolling down And you should see a picture of me With either no shirt on Or a picture of me With my mouth open
1: And <laughs> on that note Make sure <laughs> you follow me On Instagram At ZK Audio And that's thank it. you for tuning in man I
0: will right, so, we'll see y'all next week That's right Peace